And welcome back to the Holtcast and Aston Villa podcast. I'm James Rushton. That's Danny Riser. We're joining you directly after Villa managed to draw nil-nil with Reading. We haven't been around for a few weeks, but we're back and we've got a few things to go through today, Danny. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Obviously, uh, we haven't been we, we haven't done a uh, Holtcast since the Ipswich game. Uh, me and James tried to like you know rattle a few things along, but you know unfortunately our schedules didn't didn't fit together this time. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, we've got Reading to talk about this week uh, as well. Obviously that that spectacular nil nil draw, but I think which will most importantly be remembered for Tyrone Mings and his um, incident. Well, the incident involving him and Nelson Oliveira. Uh, other than that, we've also had the transfer window uh, and and a very eventful final day for for us as well. Uh, I believe two new faces coming in on the final day. Uh, so it, it, it's it's quite no, in fact, three new faces coming in on the final yeah. day. Um, just that one of us isn't one of them isn't with us at the moment. Uh, so it should be an interesting one to wrap up. Yeah, of course, uh, a lot to go into. So I think we'll start with the past. We didn't manage to wrap up the Ipswich game, so I think we'll spend two minutes on here. It's Villa's first three points of 2019 against Paul Lambert's Ipswich. Um, the performance probably left a bit to desire be desired, mate. But um, three points is three points, right? Three points, three points. Paul Lambert always loves to set up to try and get try and get points against Villa. Uh, we we know we know what he's like. He's driven. He's a very driven guy. You know, it, one, one, one thing with him is you know that if he, if he uh, <laughs> you know if he, if he really wants to beat a side, he'll set up to beat a side. Um, and they, and they gave it a good effort, obviously Ipswich, but uh, ultimately, you know, they're not a very good side at the moment. Their their players are, you know, just not not of the of the right standard really to be challenging uh, near the top of the of the championship. And ultimately, their defending was worse than ours. Um, when when it comes down to it, silly penalty given away by them as well uh, at one point to allow Tammy to finish. But it's your it's your regular Villa win, isn't it? Tammy Abraham grabs a couple of goals and uh, we we concede one silly one, I guess. It's nineteen goals for Tammy Abraham as of that match. I mean, yeah. of course, we didn't score against Reading, so he's still on nineteen. That's a fantastic return so far, and it doesn't look like stopping at all. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't look like stopping at all. In fact, in fact, I say it was a silly one, but I mean that that that, that the goal that we even conceded was was from Freddie Sears. But, you know, when you look at Tammy Abraham's goals, um, when you look at Tammy Abraham's goals, they're, they're all very simple, aren't they? Very, very simple. And I think uh, having a finisher in there reminds me of when we had Darren Bent in the side. You know, no matter what what happened, you know, if you, if you, if you put in a dangerous-looking ball, it'd be on the end of it, um, or most of the time anyway. And that's what Tammy Abraham does best, and it's it, it just seems to be continuing. I guess the only thing that's left to be desired from Villa's attack is uh, other players getting involved. And Tammy Abraham... Of course, being the type of player he is, um, is only ever going to finish, never really create. Uh, and, and I guess that's the only reason why our attack isn't, as a whole, doing as well as it should be. But, but Tammy Abraham bagging the goals and, and he'll continue to. So Ipswich, we have to do what we do best. And because uh, we started logging it, we need the match ball, mate. So I'm going to need the best performer from you. If you can cast your mind. Well, not just the best performer, but the, the bloke who impressed you the most on that pitch. He may have surprised you or come up with the goods. I think I know your answer. Yeah, but, uh, I'd like to hear you. Yeah, it's got to be Tammy. It's got to be Tammy. You know, two for two finishes. You know, obviously finished the penalty as well. But uh, when, when you look at it, if if you hadn't finished that penalty, we would have only got the point out of the game. Uh, and... It was good to see us go two goals in front, which has been incredibly rare over the past couple of months. Uh, and I think you have to you have to hand it to him for, for that. Well, if I go for John McGinn, we need a joint one. So can we come together on someone? Who do you think? Um, I kind of want to say Kalinic, but I'm not sure if he was tested as much as uh, as he nah. was, you know, in general uh, in, in most of the recent games. I think that Freddie Sears goal was 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 fantastic, uh, and I don't think anybody would have stopped it. I'm not quite sure really who I'd want to give the third one to. I mean, who's, who's your suggestion? I mean, maybe it's Jedinak, a big ask for Glenn Whelan, isn't it, or Yedinak? Yeah, two of these players who come in. I'd I'd like to say Glenn Whelan. I think he, you know, his first time passing is really underrated. He's got a uh, vision. He can see things unfolding that no one else is. You know, he can play the ball really quickly and that quick release of the ball is something we really need in this team. So maybe Glenn Whelan? Yeah, yeah, no, look, Glenn, Glenn's been having having some good games. He's been having some good games. And I, I think I think you have to hand it to him. And uh, in the midst of a lot of fan criticism as well. Uh I don't think he's the he's the best option in every game, but certainly in games like Ipswich where you know that 
they're going to try and you know make things a little bit rugged in in, in, in midfield. Glenn Whelan's a very good option there. Um, and, and yeah, you're right. The first time passing was just a little bit too too difficult for Ipswich, and we're not we're not overly we're not overly paced out by their midfielders, so it allows him a little bit of time to do what he does best. Uh, so yeah, I, I think Glenn Whelan's a, a fair shout there. Yeah, uh, I think it's not necessarily a man of the match award our match balls, but I think Glenn Whelan really stepped up. <laughs> Trying to say Whelan and really kind of close to each other is <laughs> pretty hard for me, but uh, Whelan stepped up for me, mate, in that one, uh, casting our mind back to the Ipswich game. So that's 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 done now. We've given our match balls away. We can get on with the task of actually getting on with what we're meant to talk about. I think that is the transfer window. Me and you were meant to have a podcast on transfer deadline day. Yes, it didn't unfold like that simply because. Why? You need. I think everyone needs to know why. Is uh, I started writing at half seven in the morning, and I didn't stop until maybe twelve o'clock at night. And we scheduled a podcast for half ten. And as we'll come on to, things got wild at half ten in terms of transfers. Yeah, yeah. So I think starting off the day, we brought in Tyrone Mings from Bournemouth on loan, and we have a weird option, and we can match any offer that comes in for him. I think we'll still go in for him if we're in a position to, but it's not necessarily an option to buy. It means you can just match any offer that comes in. What do you think about that Mings deal in general? Uh, I, I think Mings is is, fun, is is a great signing for us, really, because he's what we need. He's a left-footed centre-back, I guess, but in my eyes, he's also a left-back and a very good one at that, and I kind of want to see him play at left-back. You know, uh, maybe... Maybe it is the case that Neil Taylor is a little bit more comfortable with a with a left footed centre back in there with him. Maybe that's the case. But either way, you've got somebody who can play in both those positions well, and we need options there. Uh, I am. I think it is quite a shame that we perhaps haven't got uh, an out and out left back. Then, if that's the case, if Mings is expected to be playing at centre back all season, but when you think about it, Tanzibi's going to come back. Chester's probably gonna, Chester's probably going to get back into that team as well. You know, thinking about it, you know, so and an Alfic. He's he's so far doing quite well having come back. Um, I think realistically we'll see him play there, and uh, I just think it's good to see somebody who's you know fairly young in Tyrone Mings and and is quite driven, uh, knowing that you know he has he's he has had a had a bit of a tough time over the last few years with injuries. Uh, I, I think it's it's good to see him uh, him him in the team because you know up and coming a few seasons ago he was looking like the sort of player that might kick on and. Uh, and, and do really well in the Premier League. Uh, and, and I hope that he can become that player with us. I think we'll definitely have more on Tyrone Mings later due to what unfolded in the Reading match. But I think Villa made a few signings throughout the day that we can't you know, not mention. And I think the second signing of the day, was it Freddie Wilbur, right? The Freddie right Wilbur. back from uh, Cannes. Yeah. Um, are you impressed by that at all? I think we're learning, we've learned him back. Of course, he's he's uh, his old club. He's a Villa player now, but we've lo- loaned him back to his old club for the rest of the season, and I think that was critical in buying him. Otherwise, we'd have had to wait. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's been it's been really talked about as like a bargain signing from Ken, four and a half million for you know somebody who's who's, who's doing well in Ligue 1. Um, you know, he's playing regularly in Ligue 1, and I think that's that's important to say uh, as well. He's he's a young player as well. That's the other thing. He's twenty. He's twenty four, which I think you know is fairly is fairly young for a fullback. Uh, you know, perhaps you know, thinking about a player who's going to be who's going to be coming into um, the the peak of his career. We had to loan him back really to Cairn as well, and you know, you, you look at that and you think, right, that just kind of shows how vital he is to them because Cairn really are in a bit of a relegation battle. I believe they're a place above Monaco, but please forgive me if I've got that wrong. I am trying to remember uh, memorize Liga off the top of my head. And there's not many people who can do that. So uh, <laughs> no, they are they're, <laughs> they're one place above Monaco. They are fighting a fighting a little bit of a relegation battle there. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see nice to see him come in. Um, in terms of like, I, I think he's fairly unknown, isn't he? To um, to to sort of like the English public, isn't he? I think if anyone was saying they knew him, they were lying. Yeah, yeah, probably. A, I mean, the French league isn't unknown. So you know, we we I knew about Veritu and uh, Ghana before they joined us back back in 2015, but I think down the, and that end of that end of the table where Ghana kind of fighting, it's it's hard because you don't pick out players at the you know the Strasbourg, the Amiens, the Ken, you don't 
<laughs> you don't look at them. It's like um, if you're French, would you be looking at Huddersfield? You wouldn't. Yeah, true. No, you'd be you'd be looking at teams at the top of the table. Um, so yeah, I think it went under the radar. But from what I've seen, and what I have, you know, you do hear these names now and then, just be, by being interested in football. And he's one that's definitely come up. But from from following Milan a few years ago, over the years, he's a name that did, has come up in those transfer circles. So he's been linked with big clubs in the past, I believe. Maybe Arsenal at the start of the season. But yeah, he's not he's not off the radar at all. You know, and you know, I, I look at his uh, I look at his who scored summary as well. You know, this is this is a good always a good place to look at it. Um and he's he's been he's been immense. He's had he's had a seven point one rating this season, which is which is really good. You consider that, you know, the same website or the same source kind of rates John McGinn around about seven point one one. Um you know that's 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 really good. Uh, I, I think also he used to play for Bordeaux. That's the other thing. He can play at centre back comfortably. Play at centre back. That's the other thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's it's going to be difficult to know until he comes into the the comes into the the fold for us. But certainly, from what I can see, he does look like a, a very positive signing. And to sign a young French player who, look, as you say, has played for the French under twenty ones. And I think the other thing you've got to consider is the fact that he's fighting a relegation battle. No, it means that he is going to be going to be he's going to be fighting fires all season. He's going to be ready for it, isn't he? He's he's, he's going to be uh, playing for a side which is which is constantly defending, constantly having to defend. And when you've got a player like that coming into the championship, it means they're ready quite possibly. Uh, and, and you kind of prefer that to players who have come in in the past, and I won't name too many names, players who have come in from the in the past from like top sides and you know perhaps are used to having to stand off and then aren't quite used to the duels that Villa have had to face in defence over the last few years. Um, it's, it's probably one of the reasons why James Chester's done so well for us. Uh, and I think that's a really positive thing as well. So hopefully he keeps Cairn up so he stays positive. But yeah, fighting fires all season. Villa's third signing of the deadline, well, of deadline day, was Tom Carroll. Officially, it would have been Leroy Fur had that deal not been called off at the 11th hour. Um, Fur was all but confirmed. Um, a number of journalists reported the deal as done. Uh, it's journalists who usually don't say anything until the deal is done. And uh, But it was not to be. Villa actually announced the signing of Tom Carroll. Um, it, this led many to believe that Carroll was signed instead of Fur which isn't the case according to Villa's interviews with Carroll, who had been in contact with Villa since the start of the window. So it's always been there. It's just one, one they waited to act on. Maybe yeah, as insurance? Maybe maybe they inquired about him <laughs> at the start of the window. Perhaps. Yeah, I think they def- it's it's a bit telling that Fur was going to happen. Maybe it, Fur wasn't available at the start of the window than he was, and they went for Carroll, and then they went for Fur, and then went, went back to Carroll. Maybe it's something like that. But Tom Carroll... I was saying, they weren't going to sign the two of them. No, absolutely not. But uh, Carroll, a highly rated player at Tottenham, um, someone who became famous for the quote-unquote Tom Carroll assist, which is simply laying the ball off to Gareth Bale and letting him go on a 90-yard <laughs> run and score, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I think it's telling. He, he's a very grounded person with a high footballing IQ and the ability to read the game. Think of Glenn Whelan, but think of a younger Glenn Whelan. Think of an English savvy, which is what his nickname was at Tottenham before it all fell apart. But I'm not massively impressed or blown over by the signing, but it's a good one. Uh, There's a lot of Swansea fans on Twitter who are going on like they're incredibly happy about him going. (laughs) So so a lot of people out there and I think Swansea fans who kind of consider him a little bit more sort of lightweight, and I get that. He's a little bit of a lightweight midfielder, which is why I'm worried that we ended up signing him because Swansea suddenly didn't want Leroy Fuhr to go. They're two very different players, James. Two totally different Mm -hmm. players. This absolutely smells of, and I I don't know, I don't know this, uh, but this does seem a bit like, it does seem a bit like Swansea said, look, we haven't got Fuhr available anymore. Do you want Tom Carroll? And maybe in the midst of it, Dean Smith has gone right. I need an extra midfielder. Let's bring him in. He is not going to do a job at defensive midfield. Tom Carroll is not going to do the job that Leroy Foyer would have done playing behind Conor Hurahan and John McGinn. He's purely going to be a backup. The reason I worry about this signing is what does this mean for Lansbury and how is he any different to Lansbury? Um, I'm, I'm just a little bit 
I'm questioning it just a little bit, but I guess it might be to do with the fact that he's he's, he's a little bit fitter, and maybe that's what's maybe that's what's most important. Uh, I guess um, I can't see him getting ahead of Whelan or Jedinak in that defensive midfield role. He's more likely to come in and sort of be a backup to John McGinn or Connor Huran. Yeah, I think it's the rotational option. Um, one we'll have to wait and see on then. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's shown he's shown signs of signs 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 of, uh, of a top player in the past, playing for Tottenham. Of course, he's 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 a tidy player. Uh, he obviously has a, has a good pass on him. Uh, I guess, yeah, I I, I get I, I guess it will be interesting to see how he does at a team like Villa, where perhaps we are a little bit more forward moving, uh, and perhaps he might be a little allowed a little bit more freedom than he was at Swansea. Uh, so. It will. Ju- I think we'll just have to wait and see on him. I think we'll have to wait and see on him. It all goes well. I think he might be a bit more like Tom Cleverley. Um, you know, when 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 we signed him up, and obviously he did a very good job in it as, as a lone midfielder. I think it could be, uh, it could be very similar to that lone move. Okay. Well, thanks very much for uh, diving into those incoming signings. I think maybe we will review the outgoing loans as a batch because we can separate two of them away which is James Breed and Scott Hogan. We did send out a raft of younger players. Callum O'Hare went a few days ago. Um, Hepburn Murphy, of course, went at the start of the window. But McCurdy, uh, Blackett Taylor, and uh, we, we actually sold Jacob Badeau as well. And Jake Dorhays went on loan to Cambridge. So it's a bit of a weird one for our young players because I, I don't think many expected Jacob Badeau to go because we signed him two years ago for a million. He was a million-pound man, the young defender. Never got a game. Uh, right. Never got a game and he's gone for free. So I'm not sure what happened there. Maybe it's that the player himself wanted to push for first team football and he wasn't getting it. So Villa let him go, rightly. Maybe Villa didn't rate him. Who knows? Bit telling, isn't it, that we haven't had a centre back. We haven't had a backup centre back, you know, all season. And I mean, particularly whilst Bruce is in charge and he still never got a game. I'd have been annoyed if I was Jacob Badeau. If you're a young player, you're looking for openings. And those are the openings, aren't they? Uh, I don't know how well he's done for the under twenty ones or, or sorry, under twenty threes or whatever it is for us now the reserves, um, but yeah, I, I look, I, I'd be upset. Like he, that was his chance. That was his opening. We had FA Cup games. We had sorry, we had League Cup games uh, available. You know, there was games where he could have could have had a go. Uh, instead, we had games where Alan Hutton was played at centre back. Bizarrely, we had games where Jedinak was played at centre back. You're a young player. You're going. Hang on a minute. How am I supposed to break into the first team? You're telling me that I can't. And he's, he's, you know, he's not, he's not like he's, he's super young either, either. I think he's 20, 21. And I think, you know, it's getting to the point where he needs to get a couple of first team games. So, uh, fair enough. And maybe Dean Smith, you know, looked at that and thought, right, I've got the opportunity to have, have experienced centre-backs in the side now. Uh, so it's very unlikely he's going to get called up, but yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame without having seen him. Uh, but then again, you know, you look at some of the other young centre-backs in our team who haven't had games for us yet. Um, Issa Sullivan's barely played. Same with Mitch Clark. Uh, obviously, I know they've been out on loan and whatnot, but uh, I can understand Jacob Badeau moving. Uh, just a shame that we sign a young player for that much and then just allow him to go. Yeah, with Villa's other youngsters, they were kind of let out on loan as a batch. McCurdy, Blackett-Taylor, Dill Hayes all left on deadline day. I think it's a pretty good decision to let them play football because, uh, you know, uh, there's a there's a few opinions that people think that they can push for first team places and I definitely agree but I think it's probably more important to them even if they are better than what Villa have in the first team and I don't necessarily think that's true to sacrifice first team quality in the short term to ensure that they play get the minutes and experience they need to develop is a better long term decision 100% man Callum O'Hare Rashawn Hepburn Murphy they're not going to learn on the bench Oh, we we keep Keenan Davis along, you know that's good. You know we've we've only got we've only got two strikers, and then Keenan Davis can 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 slot in, right? I think I think I think I think uh, Dean Smith does have plans for him there. Uh, but yeah, look, what's what's the point? What's the point of keeping O'Hare on the bench all season? What's the point of keeping Sean and Murphy playing under twenty three reserves football? Look, it's 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 good, it's good, but we we need them playing competitive football, otherwise they're never going to learn. And I I, I think that. The signs are there whenever we have let some of the young players play for us in the first team. There's little flashes of brilliance, but then they're just not used to that competitive nature. They're not used to that fight. And they're going to have to play in League One, League Two, where other players are, look, uh, other players are playing for their careers, playing for a promotion and playing for relegation. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, 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 
it's something where you know you you have got to sacrifice the under twenty threes a bit. And look, we're we're not we're not in the FA Cup anymore, so it's it doesn't uh, they're not really going to get a chance to play first team football really anyway. Yeah, and if if there's a lot of movement happening in Villa's first team, what's the point of putting them into it if it's not going to be their actual playing situation that Dean Smith wants to develop them in? What's the point of putting them with players that aren't going to be there next season? Right, exactly. You know, what is that? What is that point? Um, James Bree went on, out on loan to Ipswich. Uh, now, not many people are considering this a youth loan, but considering the fact he's younger than Harry McCurdy, who was loaned out to Newport County, I'd consider it a youth loan. He's only a few months older than Callum O'Hare. I think it's because he's played a few games for us in Barnsley that people consider him more of a senior player, but he's still very young and he's went out on loan to Ipswich where he played on the uh, weekend against Steve Bruce's Sheffield Wednesday. They lost that game. But he got he got a match, yeah, yeah, which is good, which is good. I think it's quite it's quite funny to be honest, seeing Paul Lambert loaning loaning players from us. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> he's almost assembling a little bit of a mini villa over there. Simon Dawkins, James Bree, James Collins. So it's really getting quite fun over there. But yeah, look, Ipswich, Ipswich are under the cosh, man. Ipswich are under the cosh. They're fighting a relegation battle. That's where I want James Bree to be, mate. <laughs> I want him. I want him yeah. fighting. I want him. I want him having to, you know, kind of thing. Oh, damn! <laughs> you know, he's gonna be. He's gonna be under. He's gonna be attack under attack all season. And if if he's playing first team, if he's if he's starting for them, then then brilliant. It means he's up for the fight. Well, he is starting for him, so it does mean he's up for the fight. Another loan is Scott Hogan, who went to title contender Sheffield United, which was a bit of a surprise move. Um, it had been, oh, I say, surprise. I don't think Villa were going to let him go to Sheffield United. I thought they were going to opt for Bristol City, but I think Bristol City, <laughs> Bristol City, yeah, Bristol City are competing for a playoff place, maybe like us. And Sheffield United seem a a bit of a higher level than us at the moment. So maybe letting him, letting him on go to, on loan to the upper echelons of the Championship table is probably the best idea. He hasn't played for Sheffield United yet, mind you, but he's been he's wanted there. Shall I be honest? I I don't even look at the table anymore. I I don't really care about who's promotion rivals or or whatever. If I stress myself out too much on that, I'd be I'd be more stressed with the fact that that Birmingham City are above us in the table, um, and Villa fans aren't going to readily kind of go uh, aren't going to readily say that Birmingham are having a better season than us, right? No. Okay. Yeah. Um. But I, I've stopped looking at the table because. Uh, to be honest, be honest, you know, last few games we've basically ruined that, um, and and it is more of a long term thing we've got to start looking at. Long term, is Scott Hogan going to break in the team? No. Long term, Scott Hogan himself is has he got a career at Villa? Is his career on an upward trajectory or a downward trajectory? It's on a downward trajectory. Uh, I mean, it was at a downward trajectory, uh, and you know, having been a player that set the championship alight. You know, this was not um, th- th- this was not going to work for him. You know, he had to go out. He had to try and find himself a club where he was going to do well. To be honest with you, he's above League One standard, right? He needs to be playing in the Championship, right? Other teams manage to do it well where they've got where they've got an authentic side where you know they they can bring in a player like Scott Hogan and they'll do well. You know, rather than us, where we've basically had years of having to get rid of players who can't cut it, can't cut it in the championship because they haven't got the same desire. Scott Hogan will, will absolutely slot into another another championship side, and you know, for for him as well, the the major thing is, and I respect the heck out of him for this. Unlike Ross McCormack, unlike Ross McCormack, Scott Hogan went out and he has taken responsibility for not managing the break into the other side. He's taken responsibility for not having the best time here. Um, I, that's not a dig at Scott uh, at Ross McCormack, by the way. He can believe what he wants to believe, but that's the ultimate thing with Scott, uh, Scott Hogan. He came out and said, look, I take responsibility for it. I, d- I was getting paid to score goals and um, I, w- I wasn't doing what I was paid for. And uh, I think he's got the right attitude to go out at a club like, uh, like, like was it Sheffield United? Um, and, yeah, Sheffield United, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, smash it there. So fair play to him. Well, it's a bit of an odd one in the sense that, say he gets promoted with Sheffield United and helps helps him get promotion, he'll come actually come back to Villa because there's no option to buy. Villa won't have an actual first team striker 
next season. If we're considering Jonathan Codra a winger now, then Villa will not have a first-team striker. It'll be Scott Hogan. When Tammy Abraham goes, we'll have Keenan Davis and uh, Scotty Hogan. It's an, Unless he's sold. I mean, it's an odd one, but Sheffield United needed a striker and Scott Hogan needed game time. Uh, so I guess it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, Sheffield Wednesday are, sorry, Sheffield United are above us in the league and are, and are chasing promotion, but they don't have Tammy Abraham. And unfortunately, Tammy Abraham is what's keeping Scott Hogan out the side. Because uh, there is no way that Scott Hogan is going to start games when Tammy Abraham is literally our only source of goals right now. So I, 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 I it doesn't mean it he's just no good. means we haven't got a place in the team for him. You're not putting out Tammy Abraham. There is no one in the world that is putting out Tammy Abraham. I think if we didn't loan him, Scott Hogan probably would have been starting up front, up front for us, except Jonathan Codgers there. But now Jonathan Codgers found kind of a new role. I'm not sure he's gonna. I'm not sure what happens there, but Scott Hogan's gone to Sheffield United. Whether he comes back or not, I'm not too sure. But there'll probably be a place for him next season. Who knows? Well, look, who knows about that? The other thing is, the other thing is, it drives up his price. We're, we're not we're not prepared to sell him in January because you know what? There might be there might be a 10 million pound player in there. You know, you never know. There might be. Right? He goes he goes out at Sheffield Wednesday and he scores 10 to 12 goals. You don't know. He might. Right? 10 or 12 goals. Uh, for the rest of the season and you look at that and you go yep top championship striker we're not selling him for, for anything less than 7 or 8 million you know and it, it, rather that than sell him now for like 3 or 4 um, considering he's, he's he's just not done it for two seasons Villa's first match after the transfer window it was against Reading mate I think we were all expecting a bit of a stodgy one I think we between us we predicted two draws and a win yeah out of this Reading game. It didn't... The result probably didn't turn out as well as many people may have expected. Or if you were like us, it turned out exactly as expected, a draw, <laughs> a nil-nil draw. But the performance wasn't bad. I mean, a lot of people have you believe that it was a terrible Villa performance. I don't think that's the case at all. Villa came very close to scoring twice. And I think if Tammy Abraham had his shooting boots on, we'd have been happier. It'd have been a one-nil win. You know, let's not forget mm. Tommy Alfa hit the bar as well. Yeah, hit the bar a couple we were coming of times. Close to scoring goals. Yeah, we were coming close to scoring. So I think when people look at that nil-nil draw, and remember this game's on AVTV, so only people who are at the game or who are smart and can use VPNs could see it. Or if you're outside of the UK, there are only a few ways to have seen this game. No, there are a lot of people who are saying it was a bad villa performance who didn't watch it. <laughs> and you know you can watch the highlights and say it's a bad Villa performance but don't dare say it's a Villa, bad Villa performance if you've just seen the nil-nil flick up on the BBC live tracker and, come on and also also highlights on the club on the club YouTube are a form of propaganda so you're all you're already seeing what they want you to see yeah exactly so you can you, but what, what I will say I'm joking by the way is at least if you've watched but at least if you've watched the highlights you can make a decision yeah 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 you yeah, can yeah, actually yeah, yeah. say something if you've just seen, oh, it's a nil-nil and Villa had six shots and they had 40% of the ball, and then you say it's a crap performance. Yeah, oh, come on. Mate, Reading are the masters of having more possession of the ball and not doing anything with it. That is their thing. Like, they, they, they are great. <laughs> they are great at, at nil-nils, right? Like, that is their thing. I'm not too bothered that they, that they drew nil-nil with us at home. I was expecting it. It's never exciting as Reading. Never is. Uh... I, I did. I think I predicted one nil Villa. Maybe I think that's what I said. I can't remember. But like, even at half time, like I, I I tweeted just saying like this is the most Reading versus Aston Villa scoreline in the world, <laughs> and it is. You know, Reading are a boring side at the moment. We're a boring side. I mean, can you say that it wasn't expected? Not really. I mean. I'm not going to say Villa play badly. I think it's very easy to look at the result and look at some of the moaning on Twitter and say Villa play badly. I think Villa could have given away a few penalties. Alan Hutton was knocking people out in the box, <laughs> knocking them out, pushing them over. No, there's one time he just he just shoved someone over. He did have a couple of penalty calls. <laughs> he should. There was two blatant ones, and I think one of them could have been called. Right. Okay. And on the other hand, you got Amar El Ghazi diving. In the box, just collapsing in a heap yeah, and getting booked. Fine, whatever, man. He, he had a brilliant <laughs> game for 10, 15 minutes. And dropped and off. And he fell apart. Yeah, he dropped off. Um, 
it's just cases like that. A lot of people criticizing Conor Hurahan, who actually played pretty well yesterday. A lot of people saying he's a passenger. I don't see it. I don't see how what I see is a player pressing from the front, completing passes, and the only bloody person making chances for Villa yesterday was Conor Horahan. John McGinn wasn't doing it. Algarzi wasn't bloody doing it. It was Horahan. And people say, oh, it's set pieces all the time. It's this and that. He's the only person doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's the only one who's got a bit of an assist on him, really. I mean, people, you want to see it from open play. It's not going to happen without Jack Grealish. Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Or Joe Lolly next season. Yeah, well, that seems exciting, but uh, I think that's a conversation for when that actually yeah. happens. Uh, that was reported in the sun, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. And uh, Reading nil, Villa nil. The big <laughs> thing to make from it, I think Villa should have won. I think the big thing to make from it, though, is um, the Tyrone Mings incident. Yeah, 100%. You can't ignore it. And... Like I, I think the first thing to say is I, I'm not going to accuse him of it being intentional. I don't know if it was intentional or not. To be honest, James, me, neither me or you have the have the power to to say whether or not it's it was intentional. Uh, I I don't think that a young player like that is going to risk, you know, intentionally stamping on somebody's face to, uh, you know, in his debut for a new club. But what I will say is, my world, that was awful. That was awful to see. And Nelson Oliveira's face right now, I don't know if you've seen it, but he is incredibly yeah. cut up. It does not it's like Swiss look cheese, good. isn't it? Yeah, not good. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awful. Yeah, uh, cut across the bridge of his nose. He looks like a broken nose. There's a cut in his eyebrow and a cut in his forehead. Um, I think without the blood, it would look a lot better. Um, but these are deep gouges on his face. Um, I think describing it as a stamp is pretty... I don't know if it was... It's a step, isn't it? A stamp is... A stamp is a forceful action. I think he was just continuing the motion of his foot, which uh, that's a step. He stepped on his face. It's not a stamp. He, if it was a stamp, he'd have had a fractured skull for one. And uh, <laughs> I think there'd have been a bit of a different reaction on Tyron Mings's face. Um, you know, aggression. He stopped the game. He asked, you know, he called the ref for help. I don't know if he'd do that. If it's, in, you know, me and you don't have the power to say, if it, no one has the power to say this is intentional. And a lot of people are saying it's intentional. A lot of people who have seen a, a um, slow, slow down, slow motion clip of a player stepping onto another player's face out of context, cut off the bit afterwards, have just seen that over and over again and declared it as intentional. And one thing as well is we have to remember we're speaking about a black footballer here. Um, so a lot of the comments I've, I've seen about him being referred to as an animal and that he should go to jail and it's a beastly action. It doesn't really sit well with me. No, no, I feel like that language in that arena shouldn't be used. Nah, people I do mean, chill out like that. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard people referring to Duncan Ferguson as an animal, but I think we have to consider the historical context about referring to black, black players as an animal and threatening them with jail based on that action. I'm not cool with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't. Re- I can't remember the last time somebody stomped on somebody. Well, I can't remember the last time there was there was something that bad. There was a foul that bad. But like, usually you don't. Yeah, you don't hear people talking about them as as animals or or beasts or whatever. You say you say they made a mistake, or you you say it was a really bad challenge, um, and you say that somebody should feel really awful themselves. I've never seen Roy Keane described as an animal. I've never seen. Well, Neil Taylor's not getting this language directed at him. Is it? No. After what happened with Seamus Coleman, he's not getting that. So yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think it's always, it's always good to put a cautionary word out uh, for that. Be careful how you talk about players. Be careful that your prejudices, prejudices don't get in the way of your analysis. Um, but I think you know, going, going back to that challenge as well. Look, Tyrone Mings is, a, is an intelligent young man with his head screwed on. He's not, he's, he's not doing that intentionally. I don't think so. I don't think so anyway. That's that's that that's where that's where I that's where I look at. But I, I I will say one thing. I think I bet he feels awful because that that was that it was honestly really really bad, you know. Um, and I, yeah, it was awful. I, I can't imagine the pain that Nelson Oliveira would have been in at that point because yeah, that was looks, more than a scrape. If one thing, it looks like it hurt. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, fair enough of him to take a little bit of a selfie, um, with it. But you know, he's he's, he's obviously showing a picture. Um, of, 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 of how he was but uh, you know what you know it's it's what you see in a rugby match as well I think it happens isn't it in, in, in contact sports and it's very unlucky but when studs are involved 
these kinds of things can happen, um, whether intentionally or, or unintentionally. Um, you know, it's a wet pitch. It's, it's, it's nasty conditions. And uh, I just hope that, I mean, yeah, I wish wish Nelson Oliveira the best of recoveries, really. I think he's probably going to get, probably going to have to get his, um, his head stitched and his nose stitched up, actually. So I don't know how long he's going to be out for. Well, a lot has been made of it. And I think I do feel really sorry for Nelson Oliveira because that looks like it caned. And, you know, those are scars. Those are going to be scars. Those are deep gouges on his face. But one thing I think... Oh, those will stay, with him. Those that... will stay for, with him for the rest of his life, those scars. Yeah. I'd imagine. Absolutely. But one thing that has to be said is that he isn't dead. Yeah. And a lot of people are making it out like he has died. <laughs> he's going he's, he's gonna to be fine. He's going to be fine. Darren Hooker B was the... I don't know who he played for. I forgot. I don't know him. But he said... Um, you know, it was a disgusting, shocking, awful, intentional challenge. And, you know, people coming out of that like that and wishing, you know, I think wishing him Nelson Oliveira the best, there's there's a difference between wishing him the best and acting like we're preparing a funeral. I think... I think, you know, it's it's good to wish him the best, but a lot of people are coming out of this and attacking Mings. Tyrone Mings gets that, you know, if he gets that even more wrong, then yeah, it could be a fracture. That's a lot of weight. Right, but the fact that he's basically scraped his head with his with, with with his studs there tells me that he's immediately just tried to get his feet out of the way, right? Because you know if he's coming down on him with full force, that could have been a lot worse, a lot worse. Um, and, and look, what the, the, the other thing is for, for Nelson Oliveira, Oliveira, he's going to be fine, right? Yeah, he might he might struggle as a striker because he needs he needs the head of the ball. I think he's going to have to get his head bandaged up. Um, I don't know how long it takes to heal a broken nose, but he, other than his nose, he hasn't broken any bone in his body. You know, it's not a career-ending injury. It's not a season-ending injury. So, uh, whilst painful at the time, uh, I'm sure he's going to be. I'm sure he's going to be fine. And uh, I don't think, as I say, I don't know if you know either me or you or the FA can really make a decision there to say um, whether or not that was. I think it's fair to say if it was intentional that Oliveira probably wouldn't have a head left. Yeah, possibly. Like you said, that if it's if it's a scrape on his face or these cuts or slashes on his face from the action, I think the the weight and momentum that Mings was going, he, there should be more damage. If it was intentional, then there, there'd be a fractured skull. What it looks to me it, like... It would be a full-on stamp on the head. I look at that and I think I think what Tyrone Mings has tried to do there is he's mid-air, he's tried to get his left foot down first for the sake of balance. What he really should have done is, is, is thrown himself down to the floor. But uh, you know he's he's kind of carrying on his motion and God it's 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 awful to watch it's awful to watch. Awful. Yeah, I think a lot of people watching it over and over again. I'm trying to see where Mings's eyes are, where he's looking. But the fact is, no one actually knows except Tyrone Mings. So I think it's best that we all leave this. Wish Oliveira the best and hope that it wasn't intentional. I'm I'm thinking it's not intentional. No, that's that's where what I like at the moment. What, yeah, definitely. I think uh, moving back to the match, Villa, the two chances could have scored. Are you unhappy with the result at all? Look, man, I, I'm 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 conceding the fact that I don't I don't think we're going to make promotion now. So I'm just watching performances, and I think it was a good clean sheet. I think it's good to see Tyrone Mings play in defense, playing central defense as well, actually, and 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 have a good performance there. He looked he looked good there. Uh, I would have maybe liked to see a little bit more experimentation in terms of the forwards because I think um I think the whole Abraham Adoma El Ghazi thing is getting a bit stale. I think we need to switch something up up front. That's the only thing. I think it's getting a little bit stale up there and I do wonder whether we need to go with two strikers. We need another option anyway because teams seem to have figured figured us out up there. Um all I can say is I can't wait for Jack Rinish to come back. Yeah, it's going to be exciting when he comes back because I think it, it gives us another dimension. But I think the words have to be said for that defence because we have been griping about that defence for ages. Then Tyron Mings comes in and not only does he look good, but Hutton, Taylor and Alfic look good and Kalinic balance, isn't it? looks more, you know, looks comfortable. That balance has been added. And man, I thought we'd miss James Chester a lot more. Mm. A hell of a lot more. I thought we'd really struggle without James Chester. But yesterday was a breath of fresh air, and I'm really, really happy that this this defense has succeeded because they've been getting bollockings from people. They've had it. 
You know, defence for as long as we can remember has been the Rightfully. worst thing about this team. And yesterday was the best thing about this team. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%, man. I agree with you there. Uh, I think it takes a little bit of pressure off Chester as well. We can start rotating a little bit more. I think Tanzibi as well. It'll be interesting to see what he does when he comes back. Uh, or whether he even gets back into the team. Uh, I wonder if it means... I wonder personally, uh, you know, looking at it and I, you know how I talk about, you know, this this attack being a little bit stale at this point. I wonder if what this does is opens the door for us to go with a three at the back. I, I was thinking the same. Because I think, you yeah. know, you look at it, you go Mings, Chester, Tanzibi, that's a decent back three. I can I can see yeah, that happening. Do that. Yeah, of course, you know, you've got depth then. You've got Alfic and Courtney Howes. Uh, you know, in reserve and on the suspension, ready to step up. Um, so this Reading game, I want to know your match ball for it. Um, I feel, it almost feels quite awful doing this, but I think it should be Tyrone Mings. <laughs> it, it has I, to be Tyrone I, Mings. I, I think. I'm taking. I'm. You know, just forget the incident. I mean, apart from the incident, he was the best player for Villa, wasn't he? Surely. It's either him or Tommy Alfick. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think you have to give it to him. Yeah, Tyrone Mings definitely gets his first match ball on, on the debut from you. I'm going to go for that guy, Tommy Alfick. They looked solid together. And, you know, on another day, maybe Villa would have lost without them. But they certainly gave a good platform for a Villa to go on and kind of push for that victory. They couldn't really find the right shot. And let's say Reading's keeper had a fantastic save at the end from Abraham. Mm-hmm. And that's a win there. That's a 1-0 win. Um, but we couldn't find that win. We couldn't shoot. We couldn't score. So it was on our defence to kind of carry it for us. And they did Mings and Alfic take the two match balls. But we've got one more to give. Um, any ideas on the third one? Um, My inclination is to go with either Hurahan or Hutton. To be honest with you. I thought... I think Alan Hutton might be a good one. Yeah, he captained the side, didn't he? He captained the side. And he, yeah, he, and he, he wasn't bad. Oh, you need to be more than that. He bad, wasn't but, awful. Yeah. He was better. He was better than I'm, I'm, I'm making out like he wasn't bad. He, he, he had a good game for Alan Hutton. And I think, judging everything, he was a guy trying to make things happen. He was leading by example. The one thing that does worry me about giving him the match ball is the fact that he should have given away two penalties as well. But he didn't. So, but he didn't. Yeah, <laughs> we go. We go with Alan Hutton. Then. Is that Tyron the one? Mings probably should have got sent off. And Alan Hutton. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I. You know what? I think Villa got very lucky, very lucky against Reading. I mean, I, I, despite the fact that you know we, we 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 probably had opportunities where we could have scored. You know, Reading's defense were also on fire. They were fire. I mean, Tyler Blackie had a mad game. So uh, yeah, like yeah, I'll go with Alan Hutton. Okay, there it is then. Three match balls down. Reading nil, Villain nil. One point in the bag. That means we go to... Well, we host Sheffield United on Friday at Villa Park on Sky Sports. Difficult one. Is Hogan allowed to play against us? I don't think so. I think it would be very silly for that, that to have been allowed. Yeah, probably. Okay. I don't think so. Sheffield United are... you know They're, they're, they're exactly the kind of team that you know we struggle against. They're a young, hungry side that are pushing. You know, they're pushing. They they want they want to do well. And, you know, they haven't got they they're not a side which are like full of full of like superstars who uh, who have been in the Premier League. No, these are players who a lot of them have come up from League One with them. Um so I I, I I'd be interested I'd be interested to see uh how we perform against Sheffield United. But my inclination is that, you know, considering they battered us four one last time we played them, I don't know what has changed about them since. Apart from maybe the fact that I guess this month, uh, bar uh, bar a couple of wins against uh, against QPR and Bolton, they have looked a little bit uh, a little bit dodgy. I mean, they they got a they did they did lose to Swansea one nil. They did lose to Barnet one nil as well earlier this month. Oh, sorry, I say this month earlier in January. So there's that. But no, I think Villa have to be afraid of them just a little bit. And Billy Sharp's been ridiculous. This season, again, at the age of 32. Yeah. They've got some firepower, mate. You've got McGoldrick, Sharp, 
He goes, got Hogan. Medine. Gary Medine. You've got firepower in this team. Um, Hogan, of course, probably won't be playing against us. But that's still, you know, Gary Medine was pretty decent for Bolton last season and Cardiff. Then McGoldrick, who was probably Ipswich's talisman, and Billy Sharp, as well as Scott Hogan. You've got championship pedigree in that team. They are a heavyweight team. They've become a heavyweight team. Mate, Billy Sharp in this league. Billy Sharp is like the Hulk Hogan of the championship, man. He's been hanging around. He's been hanging around for years. Hanging around for years, man. Like he's <laughs> he's he's a superstar in the championship. But like he's he's had a couple of seasons where he's kind of like you know jog, you know jog, jogged onto the Premier League before, and, and you, you don't hear from him. But when he's back in the championship, he just smashes them in every single. I I I genuinely am worried about this game. I think it could turn into um turn into a bit of a uh it could turn into a thrashing if our if our if our forwards don't turn up. Without Jack Grealish, I can't see us being better than them up front, man. That's what I'm worried about. We need to actually try to win this, which seems scary because when we try and push out, we usually get slapped in the mouth. I'm hoping that we've Torrin Mings and the additions to our defence, that it's a bit more grounded at the back. And maybe James Chester comes back in for this one. I don't know how bad his injury is. It was like an inflamed knee, um, which is quite a worrying thing to have um, for a defender, central defender. It actually needs to move about a bit more in 2019 than they did in 1990. Mm. But uh, no Sheffield United come. I think, I'm personally, I'm a bit worried about this one. Villa, four points off the playoffs. Um, there's plenty of teams in that playoff gap that need... They've got a game in hand on us. That's not a massive gap to make up those four points. But when it becomes six or seven and Villa aren't really kicking on, then I'll start to worry. There's still 16 games left. So there's a lot left to play. But Villa need to deliver a knockout blow to a team like Sheffield United at some point if they want to make the playoffs. That has to happen. What I will say is our midfield needs to be strong. I think that's going to be the main thing. Uh, I think we pick if we pick Glenn Lean, if we pick Glenn Whelan there, sorry, he's going to have to do a very good job of of picking off um, Gary Medine or, or or Duffy, whoever does start in that in that sort of central attacking midfield role. Uh, I think it also means that Conor Hurahan and John McGinn are going to have to be running around quite a lot to to combat Oliver Norwood and and, and John Fleck. Um, but what I will say is that with our biggest weakness supposedly being our fullbacks, uh, I'm not too worried. Uh, I think Sheffield United are playing generally with Ender Stevens and Bulldog out on the uh, out on the wings, um, sort of as wing backs. Uh, that to me doesn't worry me too much. You know, when you when you look at our right hand side or our left hand side. So I, I think as long as we we play well through the middle and um, as long as our sort of uh, I guess as long as our as our midfielders turn up, we should be okay. I'm tempted. I mean, I would be tempted if I was if I was um, uh, Dean Smith. To maybe start Jonathan Codger out wide, and 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 play him as a little bit more of an inside forward, just because of those uh, three centre backs that, that Sheffield United seem to be playing with. I think Sheffield United are very much um, a knockout blow team, that type of blood and thunder team, direct. I think a lot of people would refer to it casually as a long ball team, which isn't really the case. They play really good football. It's just a uh, very in your face direct style of play that uh, bloody you knows people like Billy Sharp really succeed under that really do when I look at this it's almost like Liverpool I just punch constant non-stop football and that's what worries me when Sheffield United come to Villa because they succeeded like this last season and now it's even more powerful it's found it's almost final form <laughs> would you believe it and I, I'm worried about that I'm worried about how Villa stand up to a team and knocks on the door. You could just imagine an Ender Stevens sort of like long ball going over the defense. Billy Sharp making that run through. It's the thing with Sharp and Sharp and McGoldrick. Don't let their ages fool you. Don't let their ages fool you. They're, they're, and Billy Sharp's like thirty three. I think McGoldrick. McGoldrick's. <laughs> I think McGoldrick is thirty two, thirty four years old, something like that. Um, but they, they've got a lot of movement, man. They they, they 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 know where they're going. Their positioning is is on point, and they've been banging goals into the championship forever. Um. McGoldrick banged in goals for Ipswich Town at one point. So, I, I, like, they, they know this division better than anybody. Um, we're going to have to, I mean, our defenders are going to have to be, uh, are going to have to be really, really careful. But I think, as I say, the most important thing is whoever is playing in that central defensive midfield role, I'm looking at you, Glenn Whelan, is going to have to pick off, um, uh, pick somebody off for Sheffield United. 
it's it's going to be very very important that we have somebody there because they they, they sort of play with, with two strikers, James, and then then one one midfielder playing off them. It's very attacking. It's very gung ho, as you say. Like they, they've got three centre backs and two strikers. Like that's it's impressive in the championship. It's a pretty powerful style of football. With that in mind, man, and to wrap up the podcast, what is your match prediction? Oh, man, I don't like predicting defeats. So I don't want to do that. Um, two all. Yeah, I'm gonna go two all. Hmm. I'm gonna go. I was gonna go for a three-two loss, but I flipped it in my head. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Villa win because I've got faith in Dean Smith. I think we're doing the right things. I think our transfer window is indicative of what we want to do with this team, which is buy young, hungry, powerful footballers who want to make a mark and to kind of get rid of the older players that we've had. Not that they haven't done the job, but maybe they don't have what it takes to play this high-tempo football just Mm. naturally. Uh, from due to their age, and I say that it's ridiculous, isn't it? So thirty-two is old for a footballer, isn't well, we've, we've it? But had... you know, thirty-two in norm in a normal age is is isn't that old? No, but we have had like one of the oldest squads in the championship for ages, haven't we? So yeah, about time it changed. Really, I think two-one Villa win. Let's turn it around and let's get people off Dean Smith's back. I think that would be a really good way to kind of continue twenty nineteen. Yeah, man, I'm enjoying this long-term management. Yeah, short-term, it's not looking beautiful, but at least you can see, you can look ahead and think, right, this is good. Rather than Steve Bruce last season where we were like, yeah, it's going well right now, but I'm not sure where we're going to be next season. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's it's good to be kind of like looking ahead and thinking, right, okay, yeah. I mean, even if we take a dip, the general direction here is good. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we, we're going forward. We've got the manager we wanted. Um, let's see if he can deliver, but it won't be in the short term. We are chasing the playoffs, but to get there, we do need to step over teams like Sheffield United. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm finishing on the podcast. All the best to Nelson Oliveira again. A bit of a horrible kind of incident he was involved in. So I uh, hope he's okay. He looks okay. Um, and uh, hopefully he'll be starting for Reading next week as they play. But, uh, yeah, for us, I think it's goodbye, mate. Any final thoughts? Uh no, I think uh, as I say, uh, I hope we I hope we do well against Sheffield United. It's going to be a tough one. Uh, but also just want to say like, yeah, I'm happy with the happy with the transfer window. End of the transfer window. Uh, Tom Carroll, Tyrone Mings, as you say, two hungry midfield, two hungry players. Uh, let's just hope they work out. And I think it's great to see a lot of young players back as well, uh, namely Andre Green. So yeah, I think I'm I'm feeling fairly positive despite that that nil nil draw. Also, also, one thing, one thing I have to say, uh, check out the Villa YouTube because they're releasing some pure fire at the moment in terms of interviews. I think we have to mention that. Uh, and they have released one today. I haven't watched it just yet, but it is, um, it is about Tammy Abraham basically doing an interview, uh, saying why he decided to stay at Villa. So, uh, I don't know if you've seen that James, but they've been putting out some, some really good interviews over the last couple of weeks. I guess we'll say uh, goodbye for that and uh, see you next week. Goodbye.